Sutra 22 The womb of karmas, of actions and reactions, has its root in the obstacles, and the karmas bring experiences in the present or future births. Death is a ceremony in which a person takes off one pair of clothes, and from the ego's perspective, death is a stopping point because it's the end of the ego. But from the soul's point of view, you get a new set of garments. In the same way, there's no need for business clothes once you've entered into retirement. This massive shift is like a change of timelines. Sometimes our ego will resist this change, but our soul knows that deep down there is something new we're meant to find. The ego sees death as suffering, while the soul knows death as an awakening to a new world. All the weight of our old life must be released, while all of our impacts remain preserved. We enter into a new perception, and so death is a great ceremony. That's why we must keep in mind that life and death are a divine comedy, said Mr. Kismet. More and more souls came to find this mystical train, and this community had a growing sense of heart. Some of us had stories of great success, while others had come to find the train because our lives had fallen apart. Some of us had great emotional intelligence. Others were quick to provide mental intellect with insightful remarks. But all of us had one thing in common, we were aboard this train because we were learning to obey the spirit of our heart. Forgiveness is overrated, yelled out a comic aboard the train. This caught my attention because I figured forgiveness was our plan. We must live with an open heart and forgive. But what was wrong with this man? And so the comic continued. Mercy is where it's at. And mercy comes from me recognizing that me and you are actually the same thing. And when you can experience that deep down, then you can actually forgive because you recognize it's your own dream and you're just kind of here so I can learn who I am. And if I want to learn that God loves me, I have to practice by loving you. It's not just about being a good person. I give you the forgiveness that I want. I want salvation, so I give it to you, said the comic. Not quite, said Windhorse. The comic was another similar soul. He was like me, because neither of us truly conquered life and death. So mercy is where it's at. And as soon as the humans recognize we're all similar souls, you believe that mercy just appears? Then all we have to do is recognize our sameness, and then all the world's wickedness and suffering disappears? But what about healing? What about repairing the pain that has been done? Wishful thinking, since these are the impressions from the past where all our lives begun. We are all responsible for the wars and terrors. Do not look to God for mercy when the problems of this world were created by man. Go on and seek the source in all beings. But karma is still ingrained upon the land. Patterns build up over the ages of human behavior Yet there is a route to where it all began. The truth is that we are the same. Mercy does not come because we beg, but rather death provides mercy for those 
who have created and nurtured a divine link. What I mean by this is we must build a connection to the Om, Yahweh, Allah, Jehovah, or whatever we call our spiritual source. We must give up who we think we are, then forgiveness can come forth. And what is karma? It can mean two things, action and the result of action. When we create karma, we reap karma. But when we say karma, we are referring to the reactions of past actions. Every action has a result. Every cause will bear its effect. It is impossible to say which comes first, the chicken or the egg. For instance, how does a tree grow? You sow a seed. But where do you get the seed? From another tree. Which comes first, the tree or the seed? It's impossible to find out. Likewise, it is impossible to know the origin of karma. No one knows where and how it started. But it is here. We see it. And we should try to put an end to it. So, no action goes without its reaction. And these don't go away, but are stored. The receptacle for karma is like a womb. These karmas come back in time. Whether they are seen or unseen, everything comes back because everything is stored in the mind. If you kill another being, it's like asking death to chase after you where it will feast and attack. Go on and crucify Jesus upon a cross? Even the Bible has been waiting for 2,000 years for karma to come back. So when you take birth, you are not only enjoying the reactions to previous actions or purging karma, but we are also creating new karma. And since a comic like you wants salvation, you say you're going to give it to me. I'm afraid I have salvation, yet there are many humans who are not yet free. The craving or desire binds the world to suffering, and even a desire of heaven keeps you trapped upon the earth. There you comics create more and more laughs as you spin and cycle through the endless deaths and rebirths, said Windhorse. I could see where this comic had intended to go, but now Windhorse's mane turned blue as its eyes were tinted red. I was so curious about mercy, and I wondered if mercy only comes after death. Of course everyone wants mercy, and you think then the world will heal. Go on, just tell everyone the soul is the same, so what's the big deal? Will that solve every war? Will it cure the cancer in a dying woman? I'm afraid mercy comes after death. Then the soul truly understands compassion once it's done being human. When I look at the world, there is little mercy in life. Every man and woman alive acts like they're the center of the world and that they alone are right. Year after year, generation after generation, the rich hold their money, piling it up so that they can hold power throughout many ages. Now where is their mercy for the poor? Why can't they see who we really are? Go on and tell all the dictators and kings that we're the same. Then you'll fix this endless war. What we're left with is the karma, and the universe is always keeping count. It's keeping track of every little thing we've done to make sure our soul finds the best route. That's the real mercy. The fact that our spirit never gives up on me or you. It always gives us another chance. It forgives us for our mistakes 
and that's how mercy comes into view. After a soul dies, we must learn to forgive ourselves. This is when we receive mercy, only when we are ready to forgive everything else. Age after age, the solution is forgiveness, but yet the humans wish for mercy instead. They'll prove their points with bombs and bullets, because certain countries realize this means of production increases business. As the world builds more bombs, I wish someone would run and tell the leaders that we're all the same so mercy appears. Quick before they blow up the world, spread the word and tell them that mercy is where it's at, because of course it's better than our fears," said forgiveness. I looked down to forgiveness, and for the first time I noticed a twinkle in his eyes, as if he was coming back into my life, even though I swear we had already died. And for as long as I knew this black cat, he was quite timid and often on his own. Why I never understood why the black cat barely ate. Why on earth did forgiveness prefer to be alone? I took some food in my hand, and I offered it to the black cat. I gave him compassion because my heart broke for its suffering, not because I wanted forgiveness back. I would live and die with my own choices and it was up to us to make up for an entire world's past mistakes. I gave forgiveness food to eat, not due to my craving for salvation, but because of the way that all hearts break. Only after I fed forgiveness from my hand did he decide to eat, and so I believe we must heal the pain we have caused in the world, and only then the cycles of suffering will no longer repeat. This healing comes with a compassionate realization. Mercy does not beat us there. Rather, it meets us in the middle, and so it is through forgiveness that mercy appears. I walked over to the comic after I fed forgiveness. After all, I myself had made plenty of mistakes, and so this was difficult to do, but we must try to heal whatever is tied to our own karmic fate. And so I told the comic, I'm sorry if I ever hurt you. It's not what I intended to do. In fact, I wish I could open my heart to the whole world so that we could heal everything that the world has been through. Now forgiveness seemed to change, and he stayed by my side. Then I offered forgiveness to the comic and to the whole world, and now both the comic and the black cat had the same sparkle in their eyes. Oh, maybe the comic was right. But he said it differently than you or me. Was Windhorse an extension of my own thoughts and emotions? And maybe all of our perspectives were here to help set us free. Now the comedian came near, and he appeared quite sincere, but I didn't know if I could trust him, and so I felt an emotion arise which I knew as fear. He could tear me apart, rip me to pieces with words, insult me so badly that everyone would laugh in my direction based on the jokes they heard. Before he even spoke, I silently begged for his mercy. He had the power to throw me into anxiety and depression if he decided to unleash a comical assault upon me. And so the comic spoke. If I didn't make you uncomfortable, you would have never moved. And the same potential you see in that cat named Forgiveness is the same potential I see within you. You've got to grow now or never, otherwise that wind horse could get out of control. Do you realize you're holding the reins? I cry out for mercy 
because I can't stand to see the trauma imprinted upon our worldly soul. When I look out into the world, I realize my comedy is not for everyone, but I am one for all, and I cannot stand to see what these terrible wars have done. People are dying. We are forsaking the children of earth. I beg for mercy, please, for these people, because I cannot stand to see so many humans suffer and hurt. Wake up, protectors. Do not succumb to defeat. We've got all the potential of our soul within us. Let us bring it forth so that the terrible patterns of war and terror do not repeat. It seems we've all found the white horse, and so all of us are holding a thread of its reins. We're all tied into it together, but from my perspective, the horse seems to respond to whatever you seem to be thinking. You're so tied up in a story, and I don't know if you can change things from where you are, but Windhorse's moods seem to change depending on the size of the spiritual fire flickering in your heart. The moment you get weary, so does your wind horse. And the moment you're motivated, then emerges the powerful spiritual source. Breathe in and she'll gallop. Breathe out and she'll carry you after death. Breathe in and we're alive. Don't you see that wind horse rides within our precious breath? Align with our spirit. Call forth our greatest potential. I call for mercy first, but that does not mean forgiveness isn't essential. And if I didn't claim that forgiveness was overrated, then maybe I wouldn't have gotten your attention. You could have been so lost in the story that you'd never learn the real purpose of the spiritual lessons. If we don't get our potential to bloom, then the world may be doomed. Because when I look to the earth, I am well aware that a terrible war looms, said the comedian. This was not funny. It was no joke. And now I realized many comedians concealed precious wisdom whenever they spoke. These jokes were not hiding anything, but rather they were treasure revealers, healers by bringing community together through the means of infectious laughter. The war he spoke of was real, and it was so terrible that it was something everyone could see, a culmination of tension, while both sides struggled to agree to peace. I became somber, and so did Windhorse, and now I seem to realize that we were really tied together. I don't know how to explain it, but Windhorse and my soul seemed to be tethered, and so the comic spoke. Bring forth our soul's great potential, then let's see how your horse runs. We're all in this together, and all of us are one. Now a few more comedians came closer, and I hadn't realized it, but they too were aboard this train. Although we lived in different bodies, it was true, our souls were all the same. I realize we have great potential, but this isn't up to just me. Windhorse is pulling us through extreme terrain, and she's starting to make my mind go mad to certain degrees. Now another comedian spoke. Greatness and madness are next door neighbors, and they often borrow each other's sugar. And one of the most fascinating lessons I've absorbed about life is that the struggle is good, and I wish we all learned that sooner. You've got to live your life like you're the hero of your own movie, like there's a documentary crew following you, then you'll start analyzing your own story. What would it take so that someday the children of life 
look back upon your life and are inspired to find that kind of glory. They'll look at our lives with pride. They'll understand why you did what you had to do. And once you get your shit together, the children of life will be safe and they'll follow us to learn the truth. I love a success story, but even more than a success story, I like a dude who messes his life up and then gets it together again story. Those are my favorite stories. You've got to get things done. And when you actually do these things, the world will know success. Give everything you've got until you've got nothing left. Pursue difficult things, and through accomplishing, you learn something about yourself. You'll discover that we all have this ability within us, and if you light that fire within you, the idea might catch on and ignite someone else. So many living people have not found their path. They sit in their parents' basement, sniffing their own farts, writing online comments while they're pissed and mad. You've got to find fulfillment and growth. You've got to have discipline and grit. It takes courage and determination to overcome your fears, and it's worth every type of risk. Because behind that risk is the opportunity you've been waiting for, and if opportunity doesn't knock, then break down the fucking door," said the comic. How can we find our potential and discover the real opportunities? Most people live lives of quiet desperation, and I've been that guy, said the second comic. And how did we end up so stuck? Bills and commitment. You've probably got a car, an apartment, a wife, a kid, or a mortgage. You've got your this and your that. The way you can change that is you have to put aside enough money so that you can create a window, and then you have to have a plan. Then you take all of your waking hours outside of your shit job you do planning your escape. If you've come to the realization that you messed up, that you've gotten yourself stuck, then you make a plan to get out of it. So whatever you're doing, you have to take action like your life depends on it," said the second comic. It was there I saw a third comic, and this one was different from the other two. If not for him, I would not have made it here to share these words with you. You see, the comic named Joe changed me. He planted seeds of inspiration in what feels like a past life. He motivated me with a fiery drive that pushed me beyond any bullshit pain, suffering, and strife. I became a warrior like him, even though I never stepped in a cage or fought. His words helped pave a pathway within my brain so that I could remember the track toward fulfillment in case I ever got lost. Well, once again, I was as lost as one could ever be, but looking back, I now understood that we can believe in the real magic of comedy. Again, I looked to the third comic, who held the die of an old English apparatus for striking coins by hand with a hammer called the trussel. He was not quite a warrior like the comic named Joe, but rather his heart was bigger than any warrior's muscles. While Joe planted seeds of inspiration in my mind, it was up to me to do the work and allow these seeds to grow. Both him and I discovered how the individual has to do this work. We've all got to have discipline and grit if we really want to find out what there is to know. But the man with the trussel, he revealed a secret book from his cloak, and upon the cover there was a three-eyed man set ablaze on the back of a tiger, and so the title read, 
crazy wisdom. I saw a flash. Now the memory pulled me off the train track. I was brought back to a time when I had lost my mind around 2020, and I was trapped in a tiger's den when she moved in with me and pounced upon my back. Enchanted and terrified by the tiger, it seemed she would not let me escape, but the tiger would whisper riddles day and night about life's upcoming fate. It drove me mad. Why I began piling whatever I heard into stories to see what it all could mean. Was I actually alive back then? Or was this all a wild dream? The tales the tiger spoke of were twisted and dark. I never wanted my life to go this way. And if I wrote the wrong things down, the tiger would claw and attack me. Then my life would fall apart and it became clear that the tiger knew what she wanted me to say. Back then, I was a dead man walking, just a person lost in his apartment beside a house cat. Was that tiger real or invisible? But then why did I feel giant claw marks in my back? As soon as the tiger attacked, my life would fall apart. Everything would collapse around me and my life would break, shatter, or people would leave me so I began to lose heart. The tiger had fierce control, but I was still aware that there was someone watching through my soul. We were housed in one body together, but I could not understand this tiger's main goal. I kept writing, and sometimes I would go forth with speed. The pressure got so intense that I often forgot what I wrote, and I'd drink and smoke and even masturbate or watch pornography. It was all a wild dream because nothing was as it seemed. Then the tiger spoke consciously about something arising that was quite extreme, like a hint or a secret, and so I knew I had to listen. That's when the tiger led me to this third comic with the trussle, who came through a screen and talked about the secret book called Crazy Wisdom. On the cover, I saw that tiger. Then I noticed the man on fire. It was then I realized that I'd written that book ages ago, but I could not remember what had all transpired. And so the comic with the trussle spoke. Life is an art, and you have the power to create a masterpiece. It's not about getting through life, it's about experiencing it fully. Embrace uncertainty, because that's where the magic happens. Love is the ultimate healer, and it starts with loving yourself. The man with the trussle raised the hammer, and then he began striking a gold coin that was under great heat. And so he continued, Courage comes through suffering, and I can't guarantee if we'll find victory, but I promise I won't give in to defeat. When we see beyond life, we realize death is a great veil. You just let go of the breath out. This is called the exhale. But after that, something goes on. This is a distinct set of features that our life is imprinted upon. All you've done and all you've ever become is coded within your soul and the soul knows every address and body you've lived in. In this land we walk among those who are ruled by their ego. Living in bodies, they are focused on themselves as they decay. They are living to die, but only those who are dying to live have truly found the way, said the comic. What way? When you walk upon the way, the way appears, he answered. Everyone paused, 
while I pulled up an episode of the Midnight Gospel that night. I just wanted to show the comic that the episode with the cats, well, it saved my life. And the truth? I am terrified of you. That's the truth. You guided me into this many, many months ago, and I've been nervous ever since. I heard you say that you don't have any regrets, but now you've got one by pulling me into this. And as I'm thinking about this, being connected through this with you, I realize that the way I feel about you is the exact way I feel about love. That it's terrifying. I don't think I deserve it, but I desperately want it in my life. And I think that's the way I feel about you, I told the comic with the trussle. There I looked within and saw Wind Horse. She showed me a story about the Tibetans, when a man at the age of 16 lost everything. His whole way of life was destroyed, including his freedom. They burned men, women, and children too. They destroyed the great Buddhist towns, and even after the communists showed no mercy to the Tibetans, these monks forgave the enemies, and they kept forgiveness in view. The Tibetans had their land, their homes, and their country taken. But the Tibetan spirit was not destroyed. Still the effects of this terrible occurrence lingers, and so that karma cannot be avoided. Within my soul, I saw an ancient gathering of Tibetans, the ones who were forced to flee and run. It was through their suffering that they discovered the way, and this was the path home to freedom. It was not the way I would have thought it to be, but Windhor showed me that those Tibetans were well and free. I saw that there was a path to liberation, and it was through a unique set of doors, locks, and skeleton keys. The Tibetans stored their treasure in teachings, and so they would pass these teachings along with the word of mouth. While the rest of the world seemed to favor material things, the Tibetan spirit continues to reveal the highest teachings of the spiritual route. There I saw ten goddesses, and they took the form of ten lands. Who are you? We are the Rumis, awaiting the horse man, they answered. The vision was beyond us, but it was also within. Were my eyes closed or open? Was I alive or dead? Well, it didn't matter, because my spirit was gone with the wind. With the existence of the root, there will be fruits. In the same way, there is the births of different species of life, and so grows the fruit of their lifespans and experiences. We are those roots. We are that pure land. We are the goddesses, the creatress, and the mother of all human women and man. If you want to discover your great potential, then you must discover all ten boomies. Do this, and you will have fulfilled the great and ultimate duty said the first Bhumi. This was Bhumi Devi. She is the mother of Earth. She'd taken the shape of the globe, and I saw how the humans had caused her surface great hurt. She was selfless in her offerings, and she did forgive. She wished for the growth of all her creatures, and in her life she partnered with death. What is the great duty? I asked her. To serve all, to love all, and to remember God. Look over the land, learn to grow and to bloom. That is the aim of every plant 
creature, child, woman, and man, she said. And what about the horse? You were seeking a horse man? Can you explain the vision of the old Tibetan lands? And so another Bumi began to explain. It's best not to force any natives off their land, because the result causes tremendous pain. Over and over it happens, but this is not always the case. America may have taken the land from the natives, but by some miracle, we have learned to hold and share space. This is similar to the African Americans. These people were slaves upon America, and even though there is terrible karma that lingers, together we have managed to hold space for each other. Nature knows that perfection lives in an opportunity to bloom. Now look, Native Americans and African Americans have risen to fame, found freedom, and discovered their soul spiritual boon. There's nothing perfect, there is only life. And even though the past holds great pain, the future is united and bright. We hold perfection in what we can do. So even though there is great tragedies in our past, America has held space for those who we have betrayed, and so no race, creeds, gender has yet to be banished. We exist together upon the land, in tribes or communities. The people of America are not perfect by any means, but we have not excluded any creed, race, people, background, or ethnicity. We simply cannot force natives off their land. All of us must hold space for all natives and even help them flourish. Otherwise, if you destroy a nation, kill a tribe of people, or bring forth a genocide, then in time, the law of karma will make your nation also perish. You will not last. Just look back at the past. No one lives forever. And these days, the old karma is coming forth very fast. Faster than ever. In fact, here comes a new tribe upon the earth. Look there! The spiritual army takes birth. The wind was upon us, and no one knew it by name. It was invisible in nature, and when it comes to balance the scales of justice, it holds the power to redeem, destroy, and reclaim. Now the wind began to roar, and an eagle went off to soar. The wind was upset with how few humans understood the patterns of nature as humanity trampled upon its own kind who was desolate and poor. You shouldn't force natives off their land. You have to exist with them. And if a country banishes natives, then you must deal with my wind. To conquer your own kind, fellow humans of the earth, scattering violent bombs into cities. Let us remember the land belongs to no one, but still we decide how many humans are hurt. No one owns the land. In time we will die and will go back to the dirt. Then we will learn how we were being used, and so even you will bow and humble yourself to the great mother of earth. There in this vision, I walked in the valley of death, and there came a community of seekers on each side. With Windhorse waiting, soon it would be time to ride. In the vision where I saw the ten boomies, or the ten lands to walk upon, I decided I would give everything I had to make it to the end and find the rising dawn. But about that tiger, 
I felt trapped before, but now I don't see or feel her claws in my back anymore. She transformed into a horse. Think of it like jumping timelines. She's been teaching your soul how to level up, and by some miracle, you followed the signs. Book by book, you documented this jump through a set of stories. She was using you to teach others by creating an epic set of allegories. Be it a deer or a tiger, maybe a snake or a horse. Every time you jump timelines, you leap upon a new species and bring its spirit with you so that the spiritual essence may continue to grow and take birth. You need not get a human body. If your thoughts are animalistic, the karmas may call forth an animal's body. If someone is always cunning in this life, your reactions will bring forth more cunning actions which might be better expressed through a fox. Or a person who wants to eat excessively might take a pig's body so he or she can enjoy that more. But don't think that contradicts the theory of evolution. The individual soul continues to evolve. Even though the individual may get various bodies, which are evolved to a greater or lesser degree, and which experiences things through these different forms, he or she continues to progress. Remember that the body is not the experiencer. Life is experienced in the soul by the mind through the body. This form is only a vehicle or instrument that we embody," said Mr. Kismet. So that tiger that once was, still is? And so through life and death, the essence it embodies transforms as our soul lives? It is the power of the mind that experiences and enjoys everything, not the organs or body. Even in the animal's body, the mind experiences and undergoes things. And whenever we gain experiences, we progress. We purge and we eventually reach our destination," said Mr. Kismet. Then that tiger which was so fierce was merely guiding me ahead? I guess it needed to be forceful and sharp with my life. Otherwise, I could have been misguided by the ego living in my head. And as I grew, so did the nature of my intuition. The tiger transformed into a horse so that our spiritual soul could bloom through realization. In our life's journey toward realization, each body is a different vehicle. A dog on the road may have once been a saint who got in that body. A fox may have once been a penny-pinching, cunning business person. A scorpion might have been a big employer, always stinging his or her employees. So we can't say they are merely animals. Within each form, lies a soul on its evolutionary path toward realization. The sutras are like keys for us that explain the span of each life, and so experiences of pleasure and pain are determined by karma, which in turn is the fruit of the obstacles mentioned before," said Mr. Kismet. And the goddess mentioned the fruits from the root. What did she mean? The karmas bear fruits of pleasure and pain caused by merit and demerit. So if you have done something with merit, you may experience pleasure and happiness. If you've done wrong, then you may feel suffering. A happy or unhappy life is your own creation. Nobody else is responsible. If you remember this, you won't find fault with anybody else. You are your own best friend as well as your worst enemy," said Mr. Kismet. 
Can you explain how we can control this so we live our best life? To one of discrimination, everything is painful indeed. Due to its consequences, the anxiety and fear over losing what is gained, the resulting impressions left in the mind to create renewed cravings and constant conflict among the three gunas which control the mind, said Mr. Kismet. Say again? Being the nature of pain, resulting from changes, anxiety, memory, potential, and by reason of the opposition of the modifications of the mind, to the discriminating, all is nothing but pain, said Mr. Kismet. One more time? The discriminating person knows that attachment to worldly objects leads to fear, anxiety, reinforcement of some scars or impressions in the mind, and constant change, which are the gunas, or nature, said Mr. Kismet. So what does that mean? Through attachment to the pleasure of possession of objects, wealth, and relationships, suffering is inevitable because change is the nature of all things. The changefulness of things becomes a factor contributing to pain. A wise yogi sees this. The presence of impressions in the mind and change become a source of unhappiness. One doesn't forget the pleasures of life. Old memories remain and cause sadness because we cling to that previous pleasure. We want to relive that feeling. It's the very nature of the three gunas. While sattva is pleasant, rajas is painful, and tamas is dulling. These keep on changing, and these things make the wise man or woman understand the nature of the external world. The yogi should remain wise and maintain a distance. He and she does not want to suffer in the end, and so they should see this. The idea here is that in this world, all experiences that come forth from the outside world through nature or material things are ultimately painful. Nothing material can give us everlasting happiness. Things and money may give temporary pleasure, but we must let go of them, and so that is pain in the end. Even the enjoyment of our present pleasure is usually painful because we fear its loss. Imagine you have a high position, appreciated by hundreds, thousands, or millions of people. Everybody says you are a great person. Gradually, you learn to love that position. Oh, isn't it nice to be admired by everybody, to have hundreds of thousands or millions of followers? But a fear might come in. Suppose you lose this position. What happens if your followers leave you? What will happen to you then? Where is the pleasure in the position? Or perhaps you accumulate money. You can put it into the stock market. And if the stocks rise, you're ecstatic. What if the next day they sink? Do you really enjoy the money? No, because everyone wants to possess it. All our so-called pleasures bring in the fear of losing them. We might lose our position, our money, or our beauty. There are even people who ensure their eyes, noses, earlobes, hands, fingers, feet, and toes. They become anxious about even touching things. They are always tense. And it's all right to have a beautiful face. It's all right to have anything, as long as you don't let these things bring you anxiety and fear. If they come to you, 
let them come. Enjoy their presence. But when they go, also enjoy their departure too. When they come, they come alone. So allow them to go alone without losing your mind along with the external object. Past pleasures are painful because renewed cravings arise from the impressions they leave in the mind. In reality, nothing is bad in this world. Everything is sacred, but the three gunas are forever tossing the mind. What you enjoy one minute, you hate the next. When you are in a good mood, your children may come and play with you. But when you are hungover or in a terrible mood, you say, get out, don't disturb me. Real pleasure comes from detaching ourselves completely from the entire world in standing aloof, making use of the world as a master of it. Only in that can we have pride. I am not saying that because everything contains pain, we should run from it. That does not work. Wherever we go, the world follows. If you don't understand the world and attempt to run away, you can never succeed, said Mr. Kismet. Oh, I have tried to run, and I found that I must face what I was running from. And in that process of facing what we fear, or what hurts, a great transformation comes. Each person may have his or her own problems, so we learn to adapt. A known devil is much better than an unknown one. Wherever we are, we have to learn to handle things properly. We can't always change environments running here and there, but once we know how to handle one small pain, we can handle a larger pain point. This is the training for everyday life. If you can't face a sharp word from your mate, how can you face such words from a stranger? The world is a training place where we learn to use the world without getting attached. Instead of saying, to one of discrimination, everything is painful, it becomes to one of discrimination, everything is pleasurable. A person with such an understanding has the magic wand to convert everything into happiness. Pleasure and pain are but outcomes of your approach. The same world can be a heaven or a hell. The way to being is with the feeling. If the world is painful, let me detach myself. Let me not become involved in it. Let me not approach the world with selfish motives. As Jesus has said, let us be in the world, but not of it. Once this is accomplished, you see with a different vision. You begin to use the world for a different purpose, and you experience happiness in each moment. Before you learn to swim, water seems to be a dreadful place. But once you learn to swim, you'll love the water. The world is like that. You have to learn to swim in this ocean of samsara, which is the changing world, to become a master, said Mr. Kismet.